I should say your name correctly just to check. You're Ladoris, right? That's correct. And you are Bianca? Yeah, Bianca. Exactly. Yes. It's good to finally meet you for the first time. I've been following you on Instagram. Uh I love your videos. You're you're just killing it right now. Yeah. So thank you so much for actually asking and reaching out to do this because I had no clue what this radiation meant. But once I found out, I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) So my name is Ladoris. And at first when I started out, I was only reaching for foreigners to help them gain more respect to speak while speaking English better. But then something kind of wasn't feeling right in my soul. And so I started reaching out to Americans as well. And they started coming naturally. It was just a miracle. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. That's so, fantastic. Yes. I help people gain more respect while speaking English. And if they're a foreigner, integrate into society with ease as well. There is nothing like speaking to somebody, knowing that you need an upgrade, but don't know how to do it. And so your mind is not actually focused, solely focused on the whole, on the conversation in front of you in that present moment. I just want to help more people be at ease while having conversations with India. So you find that people are often preoccupied. They can't kind of focus on the message because they might be worried about how they're saying things, not maybe necessarily what they're saying. Is that something that you normally encounter? And also, do you have a story about any of your clients, any of your students? Yes, I have a story of one of my clients. She actually lives in Canada. And she was telling me about how she can't really focus on the conversation when her boss is actually calling her into the office to have a a short, brief meeting or something like that. And so she was telling me how she knows that she needs help. But she couldn't take her mind off of being nervous of not feeling adequate enough for the job, adequate enough for the conversation, because her boss spoke English. And so she always knew that she was falling short with her pronunciation, her accent, with her sentence structure, and things like that. And so she wasn't able to have an intelligent conversation like she truly wanted. And so she came to me, and it was true. And I told her after about a minute or so, I could I could no longer understand what she was saying. And so we worked and we worked and we worked consistently. And by the end of the program, I was so proud of her. I was just screaming. I I, I was really <laughs> screaming. That's amazing. I love yeah. I love to see the change mm-hmm. in okay the words, the language, the communication, the the comprehension, but more the feeling. Right when somebody feels proud and they feel heard and they don't feel you know invisible anymore or they don't feel ashamed anymore oh that's the best yeah I love I love that and I think what we were talking about earlier you mentioned something earlier about um you don't just help non-native speakers feel better about how they're speaking but also native English speakers who maybe live their whole lives there we often forget to talk about how there's a lot of discrimination and prejudice against certain accents from different areas so do you have any any thoughts any stories about a a person that you've helped in that regard yeah i do and people just people automatically assume just because we speak english i'm saying we as an american or in this context america because i'm an american but there are more people who speak english around the world uh as their first language 
and they're not Americans, of course. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to point that out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, such as British, Australian, and, and uh, places like that. So there is an African-American man who has a talk show on the radio. And he came to me and he said, I know that I didn't get the education that I needed when I was younger. So now that I'm an adult, I'm on the radio and people are telling me that my grammar is off, that my sentence structure, that word choice is not right. And so I told him, don't be ashamed. Hold your head up high because I was in the same spot like you. And I was ashamed. I'm telling him not to be ashamed because I have gone through it. But the shame is still there because people know when you need help. So for him to be able to continue his talk show on the radio, he, he knew he needed to move forward. And the thing is, is what he kept saying to himself, I don't have time. But you have to make time for things you feel like is important. Mm-hmm. And I find a lot of people will procrastinate getting their English together, whether it's pronunciation, the, the areas that I mentioned earlier, they know that they need to do it. But they still have this mindset of, I don't actually have time to do all of that. It sounds like a lot of work. The reward mm-hmm. of doing the work mm. is far greater than living in the same rut, being stuck in the same rut for a six months down the road later or even not much to a year. Mm-hmm. So I had to do the work and, and realize that if I wanted to have intelligent conversation with people who I felt like we're intelligent. If I wanted to upgrade and, and, and expand my connections with other professionals, I had to, to expand my vocabulary, mm-hmm. to straighten up my pronunciation. Mm-hmm. And that's all that it is to it. So you just got to do the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Humans, we, we like these instant gratification things. You know, but skills like language, they take a mm-hmm. long time and we are off, we are kind of hardwired to avoid those kinds of things. So maybe the hardest thing is is getting into habits, getting into like uh, finding the person that you connect with to help you with the thing that you need. You know, these can be really tough. And And let's think about the root cause of this. Like, why is it that some people, some of us, depending on where we grew up, how we were raised, where we were educated, all that stuff. Why do we feel this, this, like this shame, this inadequacy? These are, these are because of power structures, right? These are because of what exists, not because of language, not because of different ways to communicate. But also I want to, I want to be really clear that there's so many different accents, you know, there's so many different accents and so many different dialects, then they're all, they're all equally valid. The problem is that some people have power and other people are forced to play a game or to to do things that they wouldn't normally have to do in order to access the resources that they should have rightfully anyways. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. The whole power game, it's, um, I, and I'm trying to figure out a way to say this without brushing off somebody else's situation, heartache. Uh, mm. trials that they're going through at, at work due to, due to this nonsense um, in the work environment. I'm just going to speak about colors, okay? Mm. I, I'm going to say colors, but 
I'm going to refer to black, mm-hmm. like Latinos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure other Asians as well will fall into this category, but I'm just going to stop with blacks and Latinos. Just because we speak English um, a different way, we are not hired <laughs> mm-hmm. at the same at the same rate as white counterparts. Mm-hmm. And I know that you contacted me on the topic about African American vernacular English. So you you said a a b e, and I was like, what is that? <laughs> Once I Googled it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is my story. <laughs> yes. So when I looked into it and I realized that I say I ain't got no car. Right. <laughs> he ain't he ain't here. Mm-hmm. And we as black people. I can say black or African American. I'm I'm referring to a group of people, and the most there's a, a debate about which one is the most proper or appropriate term to use. But I'm just gonna say <laughs> black because I am black. But they would like for white people probably to use African American because it's more formal. Mm. But I'm I don't want to play any games here. I'm just gonna say yeah. black people. Yeah. We have restricted access to the education or the appropriate education that we need at school. So the neighborhood that we grow up in, if it's low income to middle, our school systems are not that great. And I didn't know this until I got older and I started volunteering at an elementary school. And this elementary school is in a low income neighborhood. And I walked in and I saw black and and Hispanic. The teachers were fine. I'm I'm assuming the teachers look great, but the student and the level of education that they had with the grade level that they were placed in did not match. So I don't want to put I don't want to put all of the responsibility on the school district because it's not all their fault. We all know that the education starts inside of the home. Mm-hmm. And if the parents are not educating their children from birth to five years old and they get the first grade, they are behind. And so it doesn't mean that it's every student is going to fall under that category, but more than likely you're going to see some delayed progress in whatever subject area they could, there could be math or reading or whatever those main subjects. So when I went into the school to volunteer to teach Spanish, I quickly realized that Spanish was not what they needed. Mm. They needed to learn English. <laughs> and I started, I started to feel extremely guilty for coming in saying, oh, this would be great. Let me teach some uh, Spanish. They're going to love it. This this is really going to help them out. And they couldn't even spell number three. They could not spell simple things like that. And these were kids that were like in the third and fourth grade. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I I felt guilty and I told them, I cannot, I cannot come back here to teach Spanish. If you want me to come volunteer, I can teeter. 
for English. That whole situation broke my heart because we had, and I'm sure that this is not just directed to that specific elementary school. I would assume that we would have this in low-income areas all around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That we are having children come out of school, not being able to read, not being able to um, speak for themselves in a way that is intelligent and the way that they would like to. And so we, now we have these adults that are coming along, and I was actually one of them, graduated high school. I felt like my, my high school just pushed me along. They said, oh, mm-hmm. you're passing with a D. You're great. Let's move on to the next grade. So I went to college and I was 21 years old when I finally realized that I was comprehending what I was reading. Hmm. And that, um, that took a long time to recover from because I remember I was sitting at my desk in college. I went to Hardy University, a Christian school, and I, I was 21, like I said, and I, I remember reading a book about teach pathology because that's, that's what my degree again. Bachelor's of Science and Speech Pathology. And so I called my sister, my older sister. I said, hey, I just understood where I read. And she said, oh, that's great. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, aren't you like happy? My sister read. We did not go to the library and read a whole lot. My sister picked up anything that she could. And she read a lot when she was a kid. But I did not. I chose to watch TV, to play outside, and when I got older, I started to realize reading is fundamental. Absolutely. <laughs> uh-huh. That's very interesting that you that you work in speech pathology because a lot of people in our field, they seem to come either from an English teaching background, uh, speech backgrounds, or maybe some theater background for doing dialect coaching. And and it's, it seems like you're really passionate now about what you do, and you've had this amazing experience. So first, I want to thank you for sharing that story. I know that that's, that's not easy to, to live through, even if it's a common experience. It's not easy, and it's difficult maybe to talk about. I want to first thank you for your vulnerability in telling us that. And you made me think about the differences in a lot of things. I'm not, I don't just mean race and class and, and education. And, you know, siblings as well and uh, educational approaches, these things, your story about going to teach Spanish, but then realizing that that wasn't even a possibility. It's an amazing thing that you're telling us. And it made me think of two things, first of all, if we can continue to talk about schooling and, and school systems, is that, number one, for, let's not get into terminology, right? There's a whole rabbit hole we can go down to talking about yeah. Black versus African-American. It's the same thing with like AAVE, yeah. right? That's just the new term. And there's always different terms that, yeah. that people place on there. So I'm not interested in the terminology right now. But let's say you've got, you know, you've got a school and you've got a small Black child, small white child who are entering, let's say, kindergarten, right? Most of the time, or a very large amount of time, a Black child has basically learned two dialects and they've learned to code switch. Mm -hmm. Uh, White children are not required to learn two dialects before going into school. So that's already a huge Mm -hmm. cognitive load on these kids that are that are also, I think, as you mentioned or alluded to, often being undiagnosed as well with possible educational difficulties. So add that on top Mm -hmm. of it. Really, they're 
they're almost learning how to how to code switch at like the age of five. So so what's mm-hmm. being asked of them is a lot is a lot more. And they're certainly not being rewarded for that work later on. And what we started talking about was this linguistic prejudice that translates to limited job opportunities, right? Let's say for black people. And so can you tell us a little bit more about that, about what you've seen, about what you've experienced, about anything that you want to tell us about that specifically? And then we can talk a little bit about how the grammar of, of African-American vernacular English, A-V-A-V-E, is, is quite valid in its own right. You know, I love how you said you used um, the ain't example. Ain't is an amazing word. Like, it's actually more correct to say ain't than it is to say other things. So I just, I love your example. I want to come back to the grammar, but first, can you tell us more about the relationship between language prejudice and job prejudice? Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're getting to the heavy stuff today. We're going to dive right in. Yeah. If you can allow me to start with the story first. I was trained by an accent coach. And um, yes, I have gone through accent training because, like I said, I'm doing my business starting because uh, I wanted to reach people who are like me. And um, so I had to straighten up my accent. I didn't talk like this last year. <laughs> I had to straighten up because people... I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm pausing a lot because I'm hesitant about what I'm about to say. I have this thought in my head, and it could be valid or it may not be. I truly believe that even though I am a content creator for, you know, the area and the profession that I am in, People look at me, Black, and say automatically that she must not know what she's doing, right? That's the first thing. They look at my skin and they say whatever they want to say. When I first got on Instagram, which is about two and a half, three years ago, I had a lot of white people that did not know each other, okay? They weren't friends. They weren't family. They were coming one after one, saying, why did you start doing this? What made you get into this field? How did you, you know, blah, blah, blah. These are like investigation questions that I feel like they're investigating, trying to figure out how do I fit into this category because I am Black. And if you, and if you go into Instagram, if you go onto YouTube or other platforms, There are not a lot of Black people teaching English pronunciation, English grammar, and things along these lines. And so, did I have any other race ask me, what was I doing here? How did I get here? Why did I start doing this? No, I did not. People who I had consistently asking me the same investigating questions or investigative questions were white. And these are people who had pages of their own. These are not people who were interested in coming Mm. to get help. They were just trying to dig and find out where in the world that I come from. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So I'll get back to the accent coach in just a second. But but then there's a thing to where 
the clients that I have, colored people want to learn from colored people. We are tribal people, right? We like to learn from people who look like us. That's why representation is so important. And that's why I don't want to go away. I don't want to stop because I feel like black people, colored people, Hispanic, they need somebody with color. <laughs> they need somebody with color. And so anyway, I have comments on people from other races. They are Muslim, they are Middle Eastern. And they will message me and tell me, wow, you're nicer than white people. Like you're actually making time for me. You're not actually brushing me off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, should I take that out of the compliment before it? <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking like, what made her assume that I was going to be mean just because I'm black? So going back to my accent coach, we had a conversation about company want to hire black people, African-Americans, Latinos, but they need to speak better. And I'm thinking, I understand that, but I have had a hard time coming to grips with that I am supposed to tell black people that they need to change the way they talk to be able to be hired and get a good position as their white counterpart. I don't know how that's going to work out. And, and really, Black people already know that we have to do this. We, we already know it, even though things have changed. Yes, you see Black and white people working things out, but America is, is much larger than Black and white. But we see things coming along, chugging along, but we still have some systemic things. I know we hear of this word a lot, systemic racism. It's all true. It's not Black people trying to play the victim card. If you have not lived being Black, then you cannot understand. It's just like if you have not had the experience of jumping out of an airplane and diving, you cannot talk about it. I can't tell you how it feels to dive that from that far up in the sky. I can only tell you about the experience that I've had walking on earth or running. And so for a white person to tell me that I'm being over the top, that I am trying to play the race hard again, it's, um, it's frustrating because I'm like, you have lived your life. As I'm going to just use this for a time, you know, uh, lack of a better time. The king on earth and everybody else is beneath you. And not all white people feel this way, but no matter if you're white or not, this is what it is for you. <laughs> this is what it is for you. And so when we come to try to get a job and we speak a certain way, we are immediately eliminated from the list. And so we have to do the code switching that you were talking about to where we can keep the job to where we can even be considered to have the job. And so black people now are coming to the terms where we're tired of code switching. Uh, we have to have on this, this mask to come to work. Then when we get home, bam, all our relief, we're taking it off. 
And to be honest with you, I'm tired of code switching myself. Uh, I have a lot of white friends that um, I have talked to this about and said, hey, I can't. I can't do this anymore. Mm. And at first I thought it was their, I thought it was their problem. They were putting limitations on me as a black person. But then I started thinking about it. It, it could be both. That I know, since I know how I'm supposed to live as a black person, they don't know what I know. And I still feel like because they're white, they're putting limitations on me. But but in reality, they're just living the life that they know. So I had to extend a lot of grace to some to some white people and realize that not everybody is subconsciously treating black people in a certain way because they're black. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, grace was a really wonderful word to use there and and maybe mm-hmm. benefit of the doubt because we don't know what what they know. We don't know what their ignorances are. You know, we, we don't know where they're coming from sometimes, right? Some people have experiences that other people don't have. And and that yeah. reminds me of when you were saying um, like about the code switching thing, right? How I'm wearing a mask and I have to take this mask off. And to go wider again to the English language, right, often people whose first language is not English come and they assume that they are at fault, right? They often assume, oh, my language is not good enough. I'm, I'm making the communication problem. But most of the time it's the listener, right? It's we don't have this tolerance for ambiguity. It's a power thing to say, oh, well, I don't understand you. And it's because of you. It's your problem. It's not often, oh, I need to work on my comprehension. I need to I need to learn to be a better listener. I need to learn to understand more. Most of the time it's it's put on the speaker when that's quite unfair. When most of us just need to be better listeners. We need better comprehension skills because it's not it's not fair to ask people or to force people or make them feel forced into wearing a mask or, you know, being tunneled into certain things because for me we have some degree compared to the past for like things that are anti-racism and things but but what is there for anything that's anti-linguistic prejudice it's almost like it's almost like putting somebody down and saying no to them is it still seems to be acceptable based on how they speak and what comes out of their mouth and that's not okay and yet it seems to be tolerated it seems to be one of the prejudices that people can get away with do you know what i mean because how how do they do that in the workplace how, do, how they can just say we're not going to let that person move to the next level of the interview process. But they don't have to say why. But you might know that that's why, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really hard to catch and do something about. So so people are not getting jobs based on how they speak, right? And that could right. be because they speak Black English. That could be because they have uh, an accent that's perceived as foreign or, you know, and for any other any other reason, right? And we know a lot of times it's a cover for something else. Do you have any insights to how this is happening let's say or or perhaps why this is happening do you have any more thoughts about the workplace that's a great question um the only other thought i have is there has to be some standard that we have as a whole just like if we have if we're if we're both running a household together 
there has to be an understanding that Bianca and Lador's, we're not going to accept somebody coming in and stealing our money. Or if you want to live here, then you have to, um, you know, not bring in fast food all the time, whatever the rule may be. I mean, we're all going to come together and say, this is the standard that we're going to have in our household. I'm making silly examples out, but I don't want to take, make it too heavy. I think it's funny. I think it's funny because you and I share something that our listeners might know is that we both have this uh, this kind of diet protocol that we're trying to follow. So we, if we're using the example of our household, it might be like sugar free, gluten free. Like we might have these yeah. rules, you know, for our for our space. Yeah. So maybe that's going to be our our rule setting, our expectations, let's say. Yes. And I wanted to mention that, but I said, well, then I like have to give a backstory. So I just stayed away from it. <laughs> That's why I made up the nonsense uh, responses there. So we have to have some kind of standard that everybody can understand and operate under. So America has chosen, there is a general American English language that we're going to use that everybody can understand and follow under this umbrella. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're like, America has chosen. No, let's be honest. White men a while ago were the ones who chose, oh. right? Like America's Dude, chosen as uh, if there was like a vote, you know, and everyone got equal representation. Yeah. No, no, no. That never happened. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was just like, let's just let's just say that out loud because that's that's what happened and that set up a structure that still persists, you know, today for what what is kind of called like general standard or standard American English or or good English, right? It's judged to be good, whereas all other all other things are deemed to be bad, you know, according to mm-hmm. this power structure. When when that's that's really what's going on here. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Please, please mm-hmm. continue. No, you're you're fine. If, and even though we have to be fair to both sides, is that we we mentioned how black people and Hispanics and whatever race you are that are not being included or being uh first choice because of the way that we speak. Well, we have to also recognize this other side is that, like you said, the white people have decided which which English we're going to use so that everybody can come in and have an understanding that this is the type of grammar that we're going to use in the workforce that's formally understood or whatever the case may be. And so I understand where they're coming from. And I'm just going to say the next thought is, we need some diversity. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and I felt like, I feel like those positions are kept for, I, I, I don't want to be compensationable white men. Mm. And so if we can get some diversity in leadership, we can learn to accept people who don't look like us. And we say that we have gotten to that point. Well, the way that we actually believe you when you say you have gotten to that point of being okay with diversity and inclusion is that you, you show some representation and leadership. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is, right? Because that's where that's, that's life. That's where people learn how mm-hmm. to interact with one another. Not just saying yeah. this stuff, but like we have to live together. And at least for adults, a big chunk of our life is spent working. So the workplace is a great place to actually have equality and have the diversity that you mentioned, you know, it seems to be um, a key that's kind of just, you know, held above your held above your head. And it's yes. Yeah. And language is a a gate, right? And so there are gatekeepers who hold the key 
above your head and they say, well, if you can do this thing, if you can talk in this way, then maybe, just maybe, but probably not, maybe, just maybe, you know, you'll get to join the club, which which is really shitty, right? It's just really sucky. I'm sorry to use that language. I, I'm outraged and I don't come from that background. So I can't, I can't imagine the rage that you must suppress or maybe, I don't know if it's rage. I mean, I don't mean to put words in your mouth. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. It, it, I had to actually come to terms with, it is not healthy to be that mad. It's more power than however. And, and really, to be honest with you is that I don't want to taint my relationships that I already have with other people mm-hmm. who don't look like me. Mm. And it, and this doesn't just come from one experience. This is like a collection of experiences that I've had from my childhood all the way up to my adulthood. And I didn't grow up, just to be clear, I didn't grow up in a household where my parents who are black, obviously, um, but I could be adopted. You never know. I could, be, could have been raised on white people. Yeah. Um, that I did not. I never heard them say the white man beard, white him back. I never heard them say about the opportunities that they did not have at work because of the white man or whatever. And my parents, they talked to everybody, especially my dad. He's just a social butterfly. Mm-hmm. Um. So I just, I just wanted to mention that. It probably didn't need to say it because it was so obvious and so present. You know, I feel like a lot of those things we don't we don't even need to say it because it's it's a it's a truth that everybody knows, right? Yeah. You often need to say a fact, but you don't need to say the truth because everybody knows it, and that's that's this horrible truth. Absolutely, I didn't hear any adults in my life actually growing up talking about how they were oppressed, but they were. When I got older, I started hearing my dad talk about how mad he was about seeing signs around town that he grew up in, saying Blacks can't drink from this water fountain. And this was while I was young. I'm only 38. And so I remember when I was about three, seven, we were walking home from elementary school, and there was a convertible, a long convertible that um that some skinheads, now that I know what they are, but when I was younger, I didn't know what they were called, but it was three white guys, ball-headed, in a convertible, and they chased myself and my friends all the way home. We cut through yards because we knew their car could go through it, but when we cut through the yard, there they were in the street waiting to chase us and call us names and all kinds of stuff. These were grown men that were about 30 to 40 years old, that was probably the most extreme, scary situations that I've had because I'm black. But I've had all kinds of experiences with white people in informal and formal setting. The rage that I built up over time. It wasn't rage when I was a little kid. I was fine. But as I started having uh, an experience one after the other, then that rage started to come up and I started to figure out Okay, this white person is nice, but can I trust them? Mm-hmm. I gotta see. I'm just gonna be like investigating your behavior for a while to see if I can actually trust what you're saying because my experience with white people have taught me that you can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you talk about that rage, no, the rage is the right word. And it may not be the right word for every black person, but for me, mm-hmm. I exploded on some people. 
Yeah, that. And I did not, now that I'm three years past exploding on them, I realized that I had some work to do mm. with being white people in my presence. And I'm not saying hatred, but I was, yeah, that was rage there. Mm-hmm. It's like, like you, you said, you said, oh, I, ha- I had some work to do. Is that fair that you had to do this work that was inflicted upon by other people? It's fair. <laughs> it's um, it's amazing that you took that you know upon upon yourself and you said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on myself because I can't work on other people. I can't change them. That's exactly the heart of the matter, you know, of this language thing, right? Why do mm-hmm. why do people feel the need to code switch because they feel like their their first code, their first language, their first dialect, their first accent isn't isn't valid isn't accepted isn't as good as something else that's been internalized that's why that even exists that's this prejudice that is still seems to be like oh that's okay you're the one that has to work on your language or you have to work on your rage and deal with this speaking of rage it's outrageous that that still Mm -hmm. exists i think and I'm really appreciative that you agreed to come and talk to me about this too because i see it from the outside i'm not from the inside it's something that I can see, but I can't speak to or speak about myself, I think, without some a lot of discomfort. I'm loving hearing your your stories that you're willing to share. It's a wonderful opportunity for people to hear about this because most of the time, right, you know, accent coaching, pronunciation work, the majority of it is with people who haven't grown up speaking English as a first language and and there are prejudices there. They can't change those prejudices, but we all know that we can we can try to overcome that by doing something and, and conforming. But very right. rarely do we talk about um, accents within the U.S. Sometimes when we're talking about, like, let's say, dialect coaching for, for films and TV, how yeah. certain, certain accents are preferred or not wanted and things like that. But other than that, we don't talk about it in a way that's more um, empathetic, let's say, or sympathetic. And in a way that's just more talking about, like, this, these are the facts. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the grammar structures and the sentence structures of African-American vernacular English, Black English, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, this is um, not a topic that I'm fluent on, but I can definitely tell you that I had no clue <laughs> that I wasn't speaking English properly. I have to be careful with my words, okay? There is a group that I was in. I learned in that group that I was speaking the whole AAVE versus the American Standard. And I learned that for somebody saying, I don't want you teaching people the wrong way to speak English. And I was like, That hurt. <laughs> but that was my first eye-opening moment or experience of saying that Black people, the way that we speak English, it doesn't count as long. And that no one wants to listen to someone with poor grammar and all of this stuff. And so when we talked about the word A earlier, are you referring to that? Yeah, I think that's such a fascinating history. The word ain't because yeah. it was considered correct. That's how you used to say 
the negative of the verb to be. That was the socially accepted way for everybody. And then that fell out of favor for certain people who had power. That's why even today we say, oh, that's bad grammar. Don't teach that. That's that's terrible English, right? No, actually, it's quite valid. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The problem is the imbalance that exists. That's really the problem. So so not not just and, and there's a lot of vocabulary, too, that's there. But the grammar, just structure and sentence, right? There's a lot of a lot of um, black English that is that is perfectly correct, right? And if we're talking about code switching, when I'm at home, that's correct. But then if I go to school, that power structure has dictated that, oh, no, now you need a second language (laughs) to speak or a second dialect. So besides the word ain't, let's say, or maybe talk Uh about ain't and some negatives and some other other interesting things that people Mm -hmm. might not know about, because this is I think this is very interesting for people. Yeah. So the word ain't, we use that to actually substitute for the word haven't. So... We say, I ain't got no. <laughs> and I know that is completely unaligned. But um, it's substituted for I, I don't have any or I, I haven't, I haven't left yet. Like mm-hmm. I ain't left, I haven't left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I am actually on to my girls about this because I hear them using black English versus the American Standard English. And I tell them that. I think that you should go towards American English, American Standard English, because it's not really accepted. And so I tell them, we don't say, I ain't got in my house. We don't say, you better be. I know we say that a lot in English as Black people. Like, you better. Mm-hmm. Or you, you better be here. Mm-hmm. And let me see. Let me see what, what else. We can say, she she been ready. Mm, that's a good one. Meaning like she has been. Uh-huh, we completely uh-huh. changed the participle in English that we normally have. And then he don't work there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which means that he doesn't work mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. And so you can hear a lot of those words being changed. And if we had somebody come into our house. You may hear a little bit, but I stay on top of it. I make sure that the, the grammar is it's correct and the word choice is correct mm-hmm. because it just makes your life easier as a Black person. And do you see that as um, almost like a political move? Because I'm sure there's no wrong way to raise your children. I didn't know you were a mother. So you've mm-hmm. got to really think about this every day and make your choices. So I can see, I can see all paths. I could see somebody saying, oh, no, you speak Black English at home because we're Black. I could see somebody saying, you know, more in your case, like, oh, no, I want you to speak this this general standard practice because I want you to have more use of this, you know. Or I could see somebody going down the middle of the road, too. There's no wrong answer here. When you make the choices that you make with your girls, let's say, does it occur to you that it's political? Is it professional? What's behind that? Um, just just kind of stemming off from the, the, the lack of of words that I said is that it it make our lives easier as a mm-hmm. black person in the professional setting mm-hmm. in a professional setting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that the way that we speak is so important just like as if we were looking at somebody for the first time our presence and the way that we speak are the top two things that people judge us off of and if we present ourselves well and we speak well we have both of those checked off and we're not eliminated from the 
the option of being mm-hmm. chosen. Mm. And so I tell my girls, make sure that you dress well. You cannot wear this and that because you want to make sure that people, when they look at you professionally, that they are given the best impression that, that you can give them. And then once you, once you start speaking, speak in a way that sounds intelligent to you, whatever that intelligent sounds like, do it to the best of your ability. And I, I learned this because I chose to do black English before and it got me nowhere. It got me nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so even if I wanted to have friends at work, yeah, I couldn't get any. Because I was speaking Black English. And at the time, I had no clue. That's why people weren't befriending me. Mm. And really, to be honest with you, Black people, there's a thing inside of our culture, our group, that says, if you speak American Standard English, then you are trying to be white. Uh, and you are actually dropping your culture, dropping who you are to appease the white man. Mm-hmm. And my culture, my black people have rejected me for so long because I was told since I was younger that you're not black. Mm-hmm. You speak like a white person. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a lot of black friends at all. I didn't have. I didn't have black friends until I was an adult. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't. Keep a black friend mm-hmm. <laughs> because they told me that I I wasn't black that I speak too white. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to fit in in other places and be and be friends with white people, but they didn't want to be friends with me either. <laughs> and this started from a young, really young age, from I would say first straight. I started being friends with foreigners. All the way through school, I was with foreigners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had some black friends, but they were from different countries outside of the U.S. They were mm-hmm. from Jamaica. They were from some kind of island. They were not actually black American, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my friend. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's. It's not just words. Language is identity. Language is how we how we communicate and how we feel like we yeah. fit in with people. And they say how you speak is kind of the average of the people you spend the most time around. But if you've got one foot in one culture and one foot in another culture, you maybe you feel neither yeah. here nor there. You know, me too, right? Most of my friends are foreigners. I never felt like I fit in, you know, not just skin color, but just, just mannerisms, just mm-hmm. behavior. Absolutely. I, yeah, I always felt like I had one foot here, one foot there. And so it's easier to befriend people who also have that situation because we have this kinship that we all, we all know what that's like, right? So if we know what that's like, yeah. like we're going to get along probably pretty well, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think it's it's identity. It's like you said, it's cultural values. And you can define that culture as big or as small as you want, right? You can have the culture of your household and you could say, here's here's our values here. And, and therefore, our language is going to reflect that. So I'm sure that you have the way you speak. And that's been shaped mm-hmm. by all these experiences, you know. And, and that's a beautiful thing to me, these, these personal ways of speaking, these idiolects. And for me, I guess we can kind of sum it all up there. 
instead of maybe talking about a certain aspirational accent, if we want to call it standard American or the Queen's English, you know, or whatever it is. I think if we can be a little, um, what do I want to say, a little aspirational about it, it would be great if we could all value people as people, right? And as as individuals Mm -hmm. and and value how they speak individually. For example, you hear, I don't know, uh, you hear, you know Brad Pitt's voice when you hear it, right? You know Denzel Washington. It could be playing in the other room and you know that that's that person. And so if we can value people just being people, I think that would be, that would be the greatest gift of all. And that would hopefully get rid of all these other things that that people are using to put other people down, you know, whether, whether it's race, whether it's religion. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I felt. I felt like I wish that people would just, this is not what the kings were here, judge me off the content of my character. <laughs> but unfortunately, humans don't work that, that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we, we would love for that to be the standard, but really, to be honest with you, you can choose whichever side you want to choose because I'm just going to speak for myself. I'm not saying that. The American Standard English is the only thing that's covering the whole of the United States. If you want to speak Black English, I am pretty sure there is a company out there that will hire you. But it's not as wide as American Standard. So you just got to choose what is something that you can live with and go from there Mm. i have chosen american standard english because i feel like it's the most professional people can say well you have given in and conform to the white man (laughs) um viewpoint here and i'm thinking well i'm just doing what i feel is comfortable for me Mm -hmm. and so um this was this was a great conversation. I think if it's opening the door up for people to make a choice for themselves, to actually introduce them into a new perspective, making sure that they are conscious of the way that they are thinking, their behavior around other people. If you're a leader, definitely this is something that needs to be on the forefront of your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if you have an education that doesn't meet the standard, whether you need to work on your your um, pronunciation, your structure of writing, the way that you speak, whatever it is, do that work and don't use Black English as an excuse to not do better. That's like really good parting advice, let's say. Like you have a choice, right? There's nothing wrong with speaking this way. But if, if you have to make the choice, and you do, at least right now, you're saying it's wise to make this choice and I can help you, right? This is your profession and you can help people. We can change the world. We can't change other people, but at least we can help right. people, you know, change themselves. I don't know about you. I think from what you've said, this is true, but I often feel very conflicted in my job, right? To me, Absolutely. these are social justice issues, right? You yeah. should not be expected to change how you speak. For any reason, as long as you're comprehensible, if people understand you. Right. Shouldn't matter. But yet it does. And I feel a bit conflicted because I don't agree with it. But here I am helping people, you know, change how they speak. But I know that it makes their lives better, too. So I think I think that's kind of what you feel, too. Is that right? Absolutely. I definitely feel this 
it's not a spiritual war. It's like a pronunciation war, the way the language, linguistic war that I have going on inside of my soul, saying that I don't want to change who you are, but I know that if I teach you how to do it this way, your life can be, I don't want to say better, but your life can be less stressful. Mm. Your life can be upgraded. Mm-hmm. Your life can be better than what it is right now. Mm. And if we take the rage off the table and, and not look at it from white, black thing, and if we just say, for you as an individual, if you have a desire to do better, then go for it. But if you are okay and your life is comfortable at this moment in your life, then stick with it. It's not for you. Mm-hmm. But I am after people who have stress and anxiety about speaking, stress and anxiety about writing, stress mm-hmm. and anxiety about interviews. Mm-hmm. I am after those people. And this is not for everyone. Just like if, I hate this use of bad example, but if you were going to a party and you knew it was an alcohol party, that party is not for you because you don't drink alcohol. It's only for people who are interested in drinking alcohol. And so... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This English pronunciation and this way of speaking is not for everyone. It is for people who know without a shadow of a doubt, this is the way they want to speak professionally. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us, Ludoris, do you have any programs right now? Do you have any workshops that are going on? How can you help people? Yeah. That's my question. How can you help people yeah. right now? So behind the scenes, I am doing one-on-one coaching mm-hmm. with clients who are doctors, lawyers, everyday workers. I am working on my course so you can have a video to watch. Mm-hmm. And I am also getting ready to make a workshop go live to where they can get help for the TH pronunciation. Nice. I'm not limited to it, foreigners. If you are an American, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to join. It's funny you should mention TH sound because um we're recording this live in june and i have like a set schedule so every july i talk a lot about th sound so maybe we can do something together for that Um, right yeah the the th sound is so interesting you you seem to get excited i i geek down about this stuff this is this is stuff that lights up my soul (laughs) yeah you and me both i think I think we found we found our people already. I I love this stuff. I have a lot of the same feelings that you do about the whole the whole thing and about what we do. I'm really glad to have found you. I saw you originally on Instagram. Is that where people can find your your one on ones? Is that how they can contact you through Instagram? Yeah, you can send me on a message on Instagram. Uh, you can actually just DM me right now. I'm working on getting the links into my bio. Ladoris, thank you so much for coming with me today. I know this has been a really heavy subject and I'm, I feel really honored to have you talk about it and share your stories with us, share your opinions with us. It's been really wonderful. And I'm sure this is not the last of our time together. I'm sure we're going to do some more. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was not a heavy conversation, uh, believe it or not. I feel like I have been preparing to do this for the last three, three years. So this was actually exciting for me to actually get to this point and actually Mm -hmm. having an intelligent conversation around this. (laughs) So thanks very much for everybody. Bye for now. Bye for now.